Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the second of our virtual retour series. Um, this is um, taking us around the UK, and today we're supported by the BCO, as indeed we were for our first one. I'm Neil Webster of Remit Consulting, and your chair for the next 60 to 70 minutes. We've had uh, two live events so far, and, um, and now the virtual one, as in the third of the series. And today we are levelling up by touring the UK's active travel facilities. Um, you'll be aware, hopefully, of our work, um, our BCO report back in uh, 2017, um, last year a review of uh, 700 buildings of an occupier across the UK, and more recently looking at helping to um, make a car-free site for a 10,000 employee organisation. Uh, today is our first ever regional stage, which we're pleased to have a panel of presenters from uh, British Cycling, Avison Young, Transport for Greater Manchester, Media City, Quorum Park and Brompton. So today we have quality and quantity. So quick introduction to the uh, remit team myself and uh, later on um, you'll be um, hearing from and um, getting involved with the Q&A, which uh, Melissa will be running. So as I said, this is the second of our five tour stages. After today, we'll be uh, having another one about the UK, uh, off to Europe, and then the rest of the world. If you do have any uh, future projects that, sorry, or projects that you'd like to have covered in our future sessions, uh, please do contact us. There'll be a link um, at the end. So during the session, please use the uh, question and answer uh, forum to pop your questions in there. As we go along, um, we might take some of those as we uh, finish each individual session um, or presentation, um, or more likely we'll do them all at the end um, and the panel can uh, deal with them all. So please don't forget to uh, tweet about today. Um, it is hashtag RetourCycle. And as last time, um, we had two competition winners for the Retour mug, and those will be finding their way um, across the UK shortly. And there'll be another competition today, so we need a picture of you um, uh, in front of um, this session um, and out on Twitter, please, with that hashtag. Uh, we hope to finish around about 6, 6, 10, depending on um, how well we're going in relation to the Q&A. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce um, Scott Dougal of uh, British Cycling. Uh, Scott is the head of communications there. And he's going to tell us a little bit about uh, British Cycling's work and um, some of the uh, facets in relation to uh, workplace. So um, I'll hand over to Scott at this stage. Thank you. Hi there. Thank you, uh, Neil, for the introduction. Uh, can you uh, see my uh, screen? All good. Great. So um, I thought I'd talk a little bit about um, our relationship with HSBC UK, which is part of our our reason for being involved uh, in this evening's uh, event, and then go on to talk a bit about um, why that has become particularly important over the last 12 months or so, and then um, go uh, beyond that to, to do a, bit, a, bit, a bit of um, a bit of future gazing, really. So, so the, the, the purpose of the or rather what set, set the, the partnership apart uh, from other um, commercial deals, if you like, between British Cycling and, and HSBC UK, is that from the off it was, it was um, framed as a societal partnership. So this would be a partnership not about branding or, um, or, uh, or, or reach, but about its ability to contribute good to, uh, to society. Um, and that was an alignment of, of, of two uh, aims, really. So for HSBC UK, building a greener, cleaner and fitter Britain. And for British Cycling, you know, our purpose is that together we are transforming Britain into a great uh, cycling nation. And the good news is that it's, it's, um, it, has, it has made a difference. So two million more people cycling in four years, uh, a million more women involved in cycling in the last seven years. Um, annually, um, certainly until last summer, um, uh, big city centre events um, uh, called Let's Rides, where um, um, thousands of people have been given the opportunity, everyone, to experience traffic-free 
streets to ride their bicycles. Uh, and then the Cycle Nation project, which is a pioneering piece of research that we um, undertook in partnership with the University of Glasgow, which was aimed at exploring people, the barriers and motivations to get people to, to cycle to work. And that very much rested on uh, the, the HSBC UK um, uh, workforce. So um, all of that became even more relevant, if you like, um, last summer uh, with um, with the pandemic, when our our working lives, our our home lives, our, our whole lives um, shifted quite dramatically um, in a matter of hours, in some cases. Um, so we had uh, um, practically the whole country. Um, those not involved in delivering um, key services, uh, working from home, so that the streets were were largely traffic uh, free uh, in in many cases, and um, and and um, critically, <laughs> um, cycling being one of the few things people were permitted to do um, outdoors. And of course, that wasn't. Um, uh, a, a, a coincidence on, on day one of uh, lockdown, we wrote to the health secretary, Matt Hancock, and encouraged him to include cycling in the list of, of daily permitted activities. Um, now, British Cycling as an organisation itself was under uh, pressures like all organisations, but we, we, we tried to respond to that in a very positive way. So uh, we created something called Let's Ride Local, which was aimed at encouraging families to get out on their bikes and then from the moment that um, uh, uh, the Prime Minister um, started to encourage people to return to work but to uh, avoid public transport if they could, we um, chose that as our moment to respond to um, a moment of national crisis by providing people with encouragement and resources and advice to to get get on their bikes to to get back to work um and the the, the you know chris boardman who with whom we work with very closely you know he characterized it as a, as a kind of a real life a huge global real life experiment and 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 the results in this country are are, are i think significant so activity levels fell significantly um but um a million more people cycle for leisure or sport. The number of children who are active fell by 1.9%, but the number of uh, children cycling for fun or fitness between May and July rose by 18.4%. So that's 1.4 million children, uh, more children cycling last summer. Um, and the number of, interestingly, the number of children cycling for travel, so to go to the school or to go to the shops, uh, rose, uh, rose too. And then, of course, um, that was followed in the uh, in the late summer by um, there he is, the prime minister, um, and he's not sponsored by Chris Boardman, by the way, despite the fact there is a a Boardman bike uh, in shot there. Um, the Prime Minister announcing something called Gear Change, which was a, which is um, a strategy to encourage um, people to cycle and walk uh, more often, but particularly cycle. Um, and um, I'll just come up to talk about the significance of that, really, because when it was first announced, there was a great deal of media attention on the bicycle repair vouchers and on the two billion pounds in investment. What we were interested in as British Cycling and other cycling organisations was really the kind of what I would call the policy architecture of gear change. So that is a commitment to national design standards for uh, cycling infrastructure, the creation of something called Active Travel England to oversee the uh, investment in, in active travel, changes, possible changes to the highway code. And they are things that if they were, if the government lives up to its, the courage of its convictions, um, then I think we can regard gear change as probably the most significant step forward in active travel, really, I think, perhaps in the last 20 or 30 years. And certainly um, that is how, how, how we see it. What's perhaps less well 
remarked upon is the um, role of WACA. So WACA, for those of you who don't know, is the Walking and Cycling um, Alliance. And uh, so we are British Cycling, Cycling UK, the Ramblers, uh, Living Streets and Sustrans. And we are, um, we work collectively to, to ensure that the, um, the active travel sector talks to the government uh, with a with a unified voice, and um, what I have to say kind of landed in our lap from a policy point of view, uh, really was uh, following um, Boris Johnson's um, ascent to become prime minister. He appointed um, Andrew Gilligan, uh, uh, who had been his cycling and walking czar in London as his transport advisor, not his cycling advisor, his transport advisor. So that is across the whole transport sector. Uh, and with Andrew, we had a willing ear, I would suggest, in terms of our ability to influence uh, public policy. So I think it's fair to say that within gear change, uh, it isn't perfect by any means, um, but it is a great deal of what um, um, we as active travel organisations would have wished for. It hasn't gone completely smoothly. Low traffic neighbourhoods you'll read about regularly in the media. And um, I think that is something, that is probably a lesson uh, that the sector will be learning from. But um, for every uh, bad story that is in the media, there are numerous successes which go unremarked upon. And even if uh, it's proving uh, unpopular within the pages of our national newspapers, the reality on the ground is that it is it is has been and has been largely successful really so so what next um so we're obviously at an interesting period uh, uh right at this moment so uh no one i think really knows um what the return to normal life really looks like despite the the government's roadmap um no one really looks knows what the world of work is going to look like, I think, for sure, a year from now. However, I think um, what I'll talk about uh, from a British cycling point of view, um, from a from a public affairs, a public policy point of view, uh, our priority will be ensuring the government um, lives up to the courage of its convictions uh, in, in gear change. This summer, we will be uh, launching a, a second Choose Cycling campaign, um, slightly less relevant to this audience, but but um, it it will be focused um, very much on children and young people. Um, uh, uh, that's partly because of what happened last summer, but, but partly because uh, we believe that if you can make the case, it is easier to make the case for um, our streets to be safer, um, for children, young people to cycle, and and you know there are a few people who who want children uh, to cycle less often, and and our view is if you can win that battle, you can win the battle for everyone else really. So, um, uh, obviously, we'll be watching the return to work um, uh, over the coming months uh, very carefully. Um, because uh, I think it's reasonable to uh, predict, certainly from for the rest of the year, um, that uh, with, with uh, social distancing measures continuing to be in place, that, that public transport will still be an option that if people can avoid, they will they they may choose to they may choose to do so, and and that means from our point of view is continuing to encourage uh, and to help people believe that cycling for transport, uh, whether they're going back to work uh, in an office or not, is perfectly achievable. So if they're going uh, into an office or into a workplace, they can do it. If they are staying at home, they should consider, we would like them to consider cycling when they take the kids to school, when they pop out for a bottle of milk at lunchtime or, or, or whatever, really. So um, so that that's um, it's a very rapid overview i'm afraid i haven't kept an eye on the time so i apologize no, that's fine, scott thank you or under no 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 we're okay we're okay and i think it's a great um segue really because um you take those slides down scott we're going to hand over to um lydia um what we're going to do now is sort of um go around the country a bit so i think lydia's going to be and george sorry are going to be able to pick up on 
um, some Birmingham examples through the eyes of um, Brinley Place. So um, over to you, Lydia and George. Thank you. I can um, see the slides, carry on. Yeah, you can see them good. That's good. always a good start. Um, so as, as uh, just said, myself and George work for Avis and Young. We are the managing agent and the lettings agent for Brinley Place. We also in normal times have the pleasure of working there. Um, we were asked obviously as this is a tour to give you a little bit of a, a Birmingham context. So um, yeah, I think it's important to start with saying Birmingham's got a long history love affair with the car. This is a city that until recently, 30,000 people were employed in motor manufacturer. Um, and you know, habits and memories take time to change. But that said, Birmingham's Clean Air Zone will launch uh, in June. It was supposed to be last year, but was delayed by the pandemic. Uh, why is that relevant to Brinley Place? Well, it affects everything within the inner city ring road. So that, that's where we're located. It will affect um, the type of vehicles that can access. Um, the city council have been awarded money from the Emergency Active Travel Fund. And uh, that has largely gone to temporary cycle lanes during the pandemic. City Council has also recently launched a new vision for the city, um, our future city plan. And a large element of that focuses on connecting the city core to communities uh, and residents out in the suburbs. Again, why is that important? Well, for those of you that know Brindley Place, uh, we're located just off a strategic arterial route, the A456 or Broad Street, as you may know it. And we're also located at the centre of canal network so for accessibility for anyone coming from the south side of the city it's really important and especially in light of the measures that the council wants to take to make that journey more seamless the city's recently introduced voice scooters I believe they've had over 40,000 uses to date we have um, a location for them at Brinley and um, importantly at West Midlands level the expansion of the Midland Metro a 1.3 billion investment and in quarter four we will be getting our own stop so I'm just showing you here where Brinley Place is on the south side of the city and um, you know you can see that you can seamlessly go all the way up to Wolverhampton and you know connections between Wolverhampton and Birmingham notoriously quite challenging also ultimately be able to get out to HS2 and um, for the uh, more lazy amongst us, such as myself, you can also get from Snow Hill or New Street straight to Brinley, even though it's a, only a 10 minute walk. But, you know, I think you can see the impact of what that does to our connectivity on, on the south side of the city is really important. George. Thank you, Lydia. And good afternoon, everyone. Um, as, as Lydia touched on, I'm going to be sort of briefly talking about Brinley Place. Um, Brinley Place uh, was developed in 1993, so essentially 27 years ago. Um, it's a 17 acre site, as I say, was developed by Argent. Um, there are 11 buildings on the site, um, which equates to approximately a million square foot. Uh, in normal circumstances, there are about 10,000 um, people working there at any time. Next slide, please. Um, so just sort of focusing on the cycling element, of course, um, pre-pandemic, there were approximately between 500 and 1,000 people cycling in every day. Um, we've actually carried out a couple of surveys, but one of the surveys that's come back suggests that post-pandemic, um, this will double to circa 2,000 people a day, which is obviously very positive. And Lydia kind of touched on these, but the, the reasons for this, as she mentioned, one is the clean air zone coming into Birmingham, which is a, effectively a tax of um, eight pounds per day for um, per car. Um, that obviously doesn't affect every car, but it will affect quite a lot of people. Um, another quite important factor is the amount of development that's happening in Birmingham currently has had a massive impact on getting into the city. Um, I suspect over time this will this will ease, but wherever you come into the city at the moment, that you know there's a lot going on. So to cycle in, quite frankly, is a lot quicker. Um, other things as well, again, Lydia touched on, but the council have been um, sort of backing us and promoting cycling and creating cycling lanes. And another important point is we are constantly liaising with our tenants 
those tenants are speaking obviously with the landlords and the landlords are essentially listening to those tenants and on the back of that have started installing certain cycle facilities such as increasing the number of uh, bike racks that we've got, um, the shower facilities, um, public storage of bikes on the estate. Um, in previous times, we would probably try and hide the bikes away because it was seen as being a bit untidy. That has totally changed now. And it's all about focusing on getting the bikes into the center and making people aware that it's, it's good to cycle into that area. Um, we've obviously got the Brompton bikes. I know there's gonna be some talk about that later. And um, because we are essentially on the Canal River Basin, we also have our very unique Canal Barge, which is essentially a repair and hire centre, which um, does very well in the fact that they're going to be even busier. Um, I mean, basically, we're trying to do more and more through our management guys, because as I say, we manage the estate and through Lydia and her destination marketing team, um, we're going to do as much as we can to help um, focus people's and focus minds. <clears throat> Next slide, please. Um, so that kind of brings me on to the wellness element. I mean, obviously, wellness um, forms part of the cycling. Um, Brindley uh, very much likes to encourage tenants um, into its estate. Um, and if you kind of go back to the original um, setting, so when Argent um, effectively built um, or started to build the estate, what they did initially was create um, the actual public realm. Very, very important. Um, and in creating the public realm, they created some beautiful green areas, which allows people to exercise on those and obviously have a nice place to sort of work and thrive. Um, I, I kind of touched on it before, but we obviously like to understand what our tenants want. And it's kind of going beyond... Um, the normal landlord. We like to really take advice from them and give advice. And if we can help them along the way with any kind of um, wellness agenda, then, then that's obviously what we're trying to do. Changing the mindset of people, is, I think, is essentially what we're, what we're about. Next slide, please. Um, it wouldn't go without uh, an office agent obviously mentioning something to do with investments within the estate. Um, and one of those investments uh, is in relation to a building called Oozles Building, which is also known as number nine, Brindley Place. So it's one of the nine out of the 11. This particular building, one of the smaller buildings within the estate, we um, unfortunately, but fortunately at the same time, um, took back about two thirds of the building. Now, as part of that, we decided that it would be absolutely beneficial. And again, listening to stringent sort of requirements of tenants um, we not only refurbished the offices to a very high spec along with creating a double height reception which you can see in that picture there but most importantly picking up on amenity now obviously the estate has a lot of amenity but within the buildings we've um, created as part of the four million pound refurb but extra cycling facilities extra showers um, uh, a drying room um, other breakout areas within the space. And most importantly, we, we um, tripled the size of the cycling uh, bays within the car park. The space is still available, so. Thanks, George. Um, so in terms of what next, you know, talking post-pandemic, hopefully, yeah, our aim is to continue to support the cycle agenda. Uh, we aim to have a dedicated cycling campaign likely in April now. And um, on that, we're going to be working with some cycling influencers of sort of known within the West Midlands. Um, we obviously are in constant communication with our occupiers, um, you know, keeping them informed on the accessibility changes to the estate and also understanding their return to office plans and, um, and their needs. And, you know, we've, we've done surveys, we've done roundtables with senior leaders but everything that we're doing is geared to you know supporting that return and, and enabling it to be as easy as possible for them um, there will be other campaigns we had a rediscover campaign last September which was very successful and we're going to rerun that as well to you know support our retail occupiers increase the use of green space obviously it's been a, a massive thing throughout the pandemic and that's looking at something 
Is that something we're looking at carefully and how we could potentially expand it? Obviously, the Metro launch um, in Q4, that's going to be a really big thing for us. And just generally, we will be monitoring how people access the estate so that we can continue to inform our future strategy and make sure everything is right for all our occupiers. Thank you. Thanks very much, Lydia. Um, so I'm really taken by the um, surveys that you've uh, done there um, and uh, what seems to be an uptick in um, active travel, you know, potentially you know, post, post lockdown. Um, whilst the other slides are coming up, there's a poll coming up, but also could I just encourage people, I think you may have arrived late, those who are asking questions in the chat, but if you could ask the questions in the Q&A, please, and then Melissa will be able to coordinate them, get them back, and we don't want you missing out on them. Um, I'd quite, the chat's fine, but um, please, questions in the questions uh, section. Um, so please do participate in the poll um, whilst um, we're moving along, but um, over to um, our Media City and Transport Grid Manager colleagues um, for uh, something from the Northwest. Sorry, just trying to unmute myself and moving the slides along instead. Can you see that? Because I've got two different screens, so I'm seeing slightly different things. So I'll assume yes. We're good. Uh, uh, so, yep, I'm from Transport for Greater Manchester, uh, TFGM. Uh, we're here, Lee and I, today to talk about something quite specific, <laughs> uh, which is effectively uh, the Cycle Hub programme uh, in Greater Manchester. So uh, this started uh, development wise, it was actually through Local Sustainable Transport Fund for those people that remember that back in 2011, and it was part of a commuter cycling project. Um, so we and the first two hubs opened in 2012, which, which is in uh, Media City. And then in subsequent years after that, we, we opened a number of them. Uh, there are actually 14 in existence at the moment across the, the region, uh, the majority of which are located at transport interchanges. Most of them were based on the idea of uh, people making a short journey from their home to their nearest uh, key transport hub and then traveling into Manchester City Centre, for example, on uh, on the tram or the bus or the the train. Uh, Media City does technically form into this category as well because it does have a, a Metrolink stop there. So uh, there are two different types of hubs. I won't go into lots of details. I'm sure if anyone wants any of this, they can ask afterwards. Essentially, we've got standard, which is the picture you see there. And also uh, on this one, that's pretty much what most of them look like, but they, they all do vary depending on their location, uh, any sort of uh, planning restrictions that were in place at the time, uh, use of existing buildings, etc, etc. Uh, so that's the standard and then the premium hubs of which Media City is one essentially just means that they have a lot more space and they also have the option of uh, shower and changing facilities. All of them are run through a membership system which is compatible with our other membership systems for the tram uh, and a swipe card access and so I'm going to hand over to Lee who's going to talk you through the specifics about Media City. Thank you Rachel. Um, good evening everybody my name is Lee Howarth I'm the legal and commercial manager for the division of the Peel Group which is responsible for the uh, development and management of Media City UK which is located in Salford Greater Manchester. Um, a key part of my current role is, is managing transport and travel planning um, at Media City uh, this involves liaising with all of our major tenants and key stakeholders. For those of you who are not familiar with Media City, it's a, an international hub for technology, innovation and creativity. There's over 250 businesses which call it their home. Um, we have many global brands such as the BBC, probably the most well-known. Um, ITV have um, presence there, Doc10 Studios, and there are many up-and-coming names. We have over 8,000 residents and workers at Media City. And as a, a destination, it's very well uh, connected, has a, a fantastic transport network. There are around 950,000 annual Metrolink journeys are made to and from Media City with passenger numbers growing year on year. In addition, a further half a million passengers use stops very close to Media City. Last year, the Trafford Park extension of the Metrolink 
which is located just across the Manchester Ship Canal from Media City, added um, significant access links to several South Manchester destinations. With its accessible sort of pathways, dedicated cycle hub, um, Media City welcomes cyclists with open arms, really does. There's around 12% of workers um, arriving at Media City by bike. And we currently have uh, around 650 cycle parking spaces across the site, plus cycle storage inside our four residential buildings. Um, we regularly engage with all of our key stakeholders, including Salford City Council um, and Transport for Greater Manchester. Um, and in the past year, we've developed a, a bicycle user group with TFGM to provide information and updates for all cyclists who use the uh, site. TFGM and Peel um, collaborated to procure and deliver the cycle hub at Media City. Um, it was opened in 2015. It consists of a, a bike storage hub and an amenity block, which are effectively two separate structures incorporating adapted transport containers. The bike storage facility contains a range of cycle stands, uh, vertical, Sheffield and two-tier gas-assisted racks, whilst the amenity block houses the changing rooms with showers and 150 lockers for use by the premium members. As you can imagine, with over three and a half thousand workers based at Media City, the BBC uh, are the predominant users of the Cycle Hub. And as a team, we liaise with them and their campus operations team um, quite regularly to ensure that the, the Cycle Hub services are delivered in line with all of the agreed standards that we have with TFGM. In, in terms of services, Peel provides these operational and maintenance types of services. So this includes security, uh, monitoring CCTV, uh, PPM and reactive maintenance of all of the assets and equipment, cleaning um, and the annual risk assessments. TFGM provides membership administration, revenue accounting, managing customer access, signage and branding. Just, just a final point before I hand back to Rachel. Media City, um, last year, the end of last year, we went through an accreditation with Cycle Score, um, which assesses the infrastructure and services, and it was awarded a, a platinum rating, which um, was a great success for the team all at Media City. I'll hand back to you, Rachel. Thanks, Lee. I'm just going to uh, summarise really with something not about the Cycle Hub, but I thought while I've got the opportunity to uh, just spend one or two minutes on talking about what's happening in Greater Manchester, uh, it would be very remiss of me not to do so. So uh, I'm hoping people know that uh, Oh, now I can't remember. About four years ago, uh, Andy Burnham, who's the mayor of Greater Manchester, appointed Chris Boardman as the Cycling and Walking Commissioner for Greater Manchester, uh, which has been a real, real boost uh, for our plans, uh, I have to say. And uh, the, the map on screen shows uh, what we're calling the year of delivery 2021. Uh, effectively, uh, we're creating the, the B network, which should be the UK's largest uh, safe cycling and walking network in uh, in the country. And this year, uh, if all goes to plan, we've got about 80 miles of permanent high quality cycling and walking routes will be delivered on the ground during this year. That's a combination of the Active Travel Fund uh, that was mentioned earlier and also the MCF, which is uh, the Mayoral Challenge Fund, which is our version of the Transforming Cities Fund, as well as there are other schemes going on in terms of growth deal, etc, etc. So it's going to be a really exciting year for Greater Manchester, as well as just the delivery of the cycle routes. We've also got quite a programme of Cyclops junctions uh, and various other crossings, active neighbourhoods, uh, a GM bike hire scheme, and a range of support and activity around basically uh, enabling and encouraging people to, to be able to use the infrastructure that's going in, because obviously that's a key part and that's effectively where I come in because I work more on the revenue side, which is all about how to get people to use the infrastructure you're putting in. So overcoming some of those barriers that still remain once the infrastructure's in. So if anyone does have any questions, I'm sure, I'm assuming we sort of pass on our contact details later on. Uh, quite happy to talk uh, to people about any questions they've got. And uh, yep, I'll hand over now.
Well, so the answer to that, Rachel, is that if anybody's got any details to follow up afterwards, there's a slide at the end where you've got contact details and anybody wants to make contact with any of the panel, uh, please do that through, through that. So whilst we hand over from Manchester to Newcastle, just a couple of observations from me. I think what I'm hearing so far is compared to and when we produced this report back in 2017, we've got much more of a mixed economy now in terms of, um, let's call it cycle parking. You know, we've got um, you know, higher schemes, we've got Doppler schemes, we've got in inclusive cycling, we've got exclusive you know, tenant cycling. I think what you're hearing now is uh, not only that, but also to address a question that somebody raised in the last session. I think we're proving that the regions have got quality as well. This isn't just a polarised um, London scenario. But um, anyway, Laura, if you want to just um, pull up your um, slides and um, uh, we can uh, hand over to Newcastle. Can you see that? Okay. We will in a minute, I think. Uh, we do indeed. Um, thank you. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. <laughs> as well. Carry on. Okay, right. Um, sorry. It's okay. Yeah, so I'm Laura Kerry. I'm the tenant and travel advisor at Quorum Park in Newcastle. I actually work for Knight Frank, um, but I'm permanently based at Quorum Park and I have been for nearly 13 years. I just started off initially for a year writing a travel plan and it's became sort of integral to the business park to promote sustainable travel and that really helps us to attract new tenants. Um, the business park is about a million square foot. We've got 16 office buildings and we're home to a lot of headquarter functions, smaller offices, anything from six people up to a thousand people. We've got sports courts, um, retail development, a nursery, that kind of thing. So we are based, sat bang in the middle of the A1, this side and the A19, that side, very good road links, um, very good public transport links with the metro that runs throughout Tynemuir. This metro station is less than a mile from the park. Um, I mean, that actually brings a few problems because there isn't a lot of congestion in the, in the northeast compared to the other areas of the country. So there isn't a huge stick to encourage people to cycle. However, we are surrounded by lots of chimney pots. This is the city centre here. This is the River Tyne. We are edge of town rather than out of town. So we're not stuck out on a motorway somewhere. Um, there is a lot of potential for people to cycle and walk into work. Um, and this is the buses that operate to and from either falling ends or quorum. So we've typically got higher than average rate of public transport to and from the park. Obviously, the city, not compared to the city centre, but compared to other sort of out of town um, developments, we have a higher than average amount of people travelling. So we have already in place before COVID-19, we have a pool bike scheme with hybrid and folding bicycles. We have regular bike maintenance checks and I'm just going to quickly show you something. Um, I thought it would be easier to do it. Um, oh God, sorry, this way. Can you see this? So this is Dave, our doctor bike guy. We can see him, we can't hear him, Laura. Oh, never, sorry. Oh, never mind. Well, anyway, um, sorry about that. Okay, I'll go back to the presentation. But anyway, we've got somebody that comes in regularly to do um, Dr. Bike. Can you still see this presentation? Okay. Yeah, maybe you could go full screen. Yeah, okay. Um, so we do that at least sort of four or five times a year as a free service. Um, that's where he sets up in our sort of events cabin. This was actually in February a couple of weeks ago. So we still have people bringing the bikes in all throughout the year. That's one of our hybrid bikes that we rent out. Um, we have in the past done like 15 minutes sort of short e-bike test rides with one of our partners at Ride Electric. Um, we have an on-site team who use bikes to get around the park. So we have um, the security team ourselves. We all sort of set a good example by going around on bikes. 
Um, I give out route planning advice um, using the excellent regional cycle network that we have. Um, there's lots of good maps for the Northeast. Um, and we have annual organised group bike rides. And I actually am a British cycling volunteer as well. So I was involved in the breeze rides from the beginning and quite in act actively try and encourage people to cycle. Um, so that's an example of some of the rides that we do locally. We've got a bicycle users group. Um, we do have a barbecue area on site. So at the end of the rides, we sort of provide lunches for people. And we do a big ride each year where we try and encourage people to cycle throughout the summer months to sort of build up to a big ride at the end of the year. Um, so we send out a monthly update on the bicycle users group. Um, We've got standard covered cycle parking facilities and changing rooms. Um, this is what it sort of typically looked like before COVID. I'll come on to what we've installed throughout lockdown. Um, it's still pretty good facilities. Um, we have enough cycle parking for 10% of people to cycle to work. Before lockdown, we typically, there was about 10% of people actually cycled to work on site, but not every day. So they might cycle one day a week or a couple of days a week. Um, typically on an average day, we have about one or 2% of people cycling. So there's obviously, you know, a lot more potential. Um, we need to get those bike racks filled up. Um, so we do regular posts on social media. We've got like Facebook and um and Instagram for people working on the park. We've got a weekly hub update, which we send to tenants and a monthly e-newsletter. We have reconditioned bike sales and partnership with another charity that we work with called What Bike. And um, we've worked with North Tyneside Council a lobby for better paths and crossings and things. So there was already a lot of stuff going on before COVID-19, um, but it's given us a bit of a chance to kind of reassess what we can do and really try and sort of um, use this opportunity where there's been a boom in cycling. Um, so obviously we've had flex, more flexible working patterns and home working. There's less less pressure on the car park, um, which has given me a lot of spare time because I deal with all of the sort of park and management as well. Um, tenants have been given back overflow bays. So where we had empty buildings that could rent the overflow bays. So almost 100% of the overflow bays have been given up. And we're hoping that they're not going to get them back after lockdown. Um, we've had single car occupancy while traveling to the office during lockdown. But when we've done surveys, a lot of people have said that they'll go back to what they were doing before, which is really encouraging. Um, so we are a little bit worried that the demand for parking will still be high as people will only be coming in one or two days a week so they might just think all oh, right okay well i'll just use my car and i'll not bother getting public transport because it's more expensive to travel one or two days a week by public transport so we're going to try and encourage those people to at least try and think about cycling one day um there's less bus services at the minute and there's a bit of a fear of using public transport. Um, bicycle ownership has increased and there's more emphasis on an active lifestyle. So we're just doing everything we can to try and sort of use that as an opportunity. And um, we did a survey recently and before lockdown, 75% of the workforce were coming to the park five days or more a week. Uh, in lockdown, it's only 15%. So we went from having around 7,000 people a day on site. We've currently got around about 1,200 and they're predominantly key workers in call centres. Um, when we asked how many days they were going to be coming back, interestingly, only 30% said they're going to be coming back five days a week and the rest will just be doing one to four. So um, that'll be great in terms of managing car parking and things like that. Um, before lockdown, less than 4% were fully home-based. After lockdown, we, we've been told through the survey that probably around 10% will be fully home-based. So it's quite interesting stats that we've got there. Um, so what we're gonna do, things that we've been doing already, we, um, we offered a week-long e-bike trial with key workers throughout lockdown. Um, we did this in partnership with Ride Electric, who are a local company who sell and hire e-bikes. Um, we've since added a pool bike to our fleet in February 2021 because that 
trial was so successful we had a waiting list of people that wanted to try out e-bikes to and from work um, and we've actually been promoting an e-adoption program e-bike adoption program as well with ride electric um, where people can give up their public transport ticket for a month and instead hire an e-bike for £40 a month, um, which is really competitive in comparison to a public transport ticket. So um, we've had a few people on the park sign up to that as well. Um, this is a guy that did the trial who said he really enjoyed the experience. He'd never ridden an e-bike before and he wanted to see what they were like. Hills are not hills on the e-bike, they're just flat. So you basically paddle flat home from work. It really doesn't need a lot of effort. Um, I'll definitely consider buying an e-bike for commuting. So that's really positive feedback that we're getting from everyone that's using the e-bikes. And we're using these as examples when we're promoting the e-bikes as well. Um, this is the e-bike that we have in our fleet. And this is the sort of bike adoption program that I talked about. Um, and I'll nudge you along, Laura, two, three minutes. Yeah, so, so we've offered a week-long e-bike trial, as I mentioned. We've got e-cargo bikes, so we've um, we've actually branded that up as well. So our security team goes around on that. Um, we've converted um, a disabled toilet into a unisex shower room, and we've installed a drying cupboards in the changing rooms, and we're looking to get some sort of eco-friendly products and possibly a towel service as well in one of the buildings that we manage. Um, so this is the sort of drying room and this is the new shower room. Um, we've made Cy Cycle Park more accessible because we had feedback that some people couldn't get into them. So if you see here, cars were sort of like parked right up against the cycle parking. So we bought these little stopper things here, which are really cost effective. We've taken some tenants who have given back car parking spaces have then used that money to invest in better cycle parking facilities so these are more secure particularly for people who are buying e-bikes they want a more secure option um, so these are some of the new cycle parking that we've got um, so yeah we've actually started doing a bit more of like social media and blogging and things as well and um, we just launched the Kinto join app so um, I'm going to leave you on a little video, which is an example of the things that we have been doing. I don't know whether you're going to be able to hear it, though, so it might not work. Um, you could talk over the top of it. Uh, what do you think? Um, do you know well, what? I'll not, just, Laura, let's, I'll let's just leave it. There, it. I'll just leave it. Time, yeah. I think, as yeah. Well. yeah. So the Kinto Join app, I'll just basically tell you what that is. It's basically um, an app where people can sign up and they get rewarded for walking and cycling. So it uses um, GPS and the, you start the journey and yeah, every time somebody logs a journey more than one kilometre by walking and cycling, they get a point and then they can exchange the points for rewards. Um, so if anyone wants to sort of look that up, definitely look into it because we, we've actually put out a press release today or tomorrow, which is going to be all over LinkedIn and stuff. So if you have a look on our LinkedIn, you'll find out a bit more about that. Um, and we're launching an office app as well, which is going to allow people to book pool bikes and things through that. So there's lots going on. Um, so, yeah, I think that's about it. This is just a kind of a little flowchart to show you our process. So people borrow a pool bike. They can then buy a reconditioned bike or they can purchase a bike through a cycle of work scheme or they can get a discount through our Q card scheme or they can rent an e-bike. So there's plenty of options. Then we encourage them to join the bug get free maintenance checks every month and cycle to work and earn points. So that's basically everything in a nutshell there. Thank you, Laura. I mean, I think what you've summarised there is sense that um, everything I said about the mixed economy, um, you've included in Coram Park, really. <laughs> so uh, as you said, in a nutshell, so if you want to drop your uh, slides down and um, we'll, um, we'll get Julian on. I don't know, I don't know um, how to do this. Um, I'm sorry. It's the unshare... I shall, I shall bully my way in. That's a good that? way of doing it. That's a good way of doing it, Julian. There yeah. we go. Uh, um, so there's, a, there's a poll going to come over the top of you, I think, as well, Julian. Don't, don't be distracted by it. Um, oh, so no, thanks to Julian and over to, to you. Excellent. Um, hello, everyone. I'm going to take you through um, something we did um, called Wheels for Heroes. Um, before I start, let me just give you a little bit of background. Um, I'm uh, talking regarding... Um, 
Brompton Bike Hire, on behalf of Brompton Bike Hire. And for those who don't know what we do, we work with local authorities, property developers and property owners to kind of try and develop mobile shift through shared micromobility. We've got around about 60 locations around the UK, 65 actually. Interestingly, I'm promised not to sell, but I will say we have a dock in Brindley Wharf, which people who are in Argent buildings get free membership to. So the, the guys from Brindley Place might be interested in that one. Uh, speak to me afterwards and I can sort you up with the free membership for that so you can make use of something that's already there. Um, so um, I'm going to try and keep time today as the tail end Charlie. Um, so but please shout at me if I'm moving too long. Um, this was what I can only describe as the accidental um, campaign. We didn't actually set out to do anything special. Um, we were basically contacted by St. Bart's Hospital um, at, in kind of late February, early March last year to say um, by a Brompton owner, um, could we lend them a couple of bikes for their staff to use because they're a bit nervous about using the buses to get to and from the hospital. Um, so we did, we lent them two or three and then two or three turned into 10 and then on the Friday of that week, um, my uh, head of ops came to me and said, this is getting a bit crazy. We're having to do this piecemeal. Can we just give them a promo code and tell them to pick a bike up from the lockers? Didn't think much more of it. I got another call from my um, operations, head of operations on the Monday morning to say, Julian, we haven't got any rental bikes left. They've all gone. Um, what we hadn't appreciated is, and um, those, those who, who are laughing at my daftness will understand why, we didn't realize that the NHS um, staff have these huge WhatsApp groups. So the, the code that we shared with what we thought was St. Bart's Hospital quickly went viral across the NHS and everyone as, as far north as kind of Manchester and Liverpool and all the way down to Portsmouth, we're merely using this code to, to get hold of our bikes. Um, so we suddenly had um, our entire rental fleet out on loan um, to the NHS, which was, which was fantastic. Um, but it was over a thousand people had registered that code and literally every single bike that wasn't already out with one of our customers was out with the NHS. So we thought we needed to do something about this. And we started a crowdfunder to raise some money to build some more bikes to lend to the NHS. Uh, and we, we, we part funded ourselves. Um, I have to say British Cycling um, via the Better Places um, Fund um, put some money towards it as well. And we managed to build just over 700 bikes, it's actually 712. Um, that, was, that still wasn't enough. So we trying to figure out what to do next. So what we kind of did was say, okay, look, everyone in the NHS um, can have um, a Brompton bike, a Wheels for Hero Brompton bike um, to borrow for um, 30, 30 to, to 90 days. And if anyone asked me why that varied, it depended on how nice people were from the individual hospital trusts when they were asking to work. Um, the end result was we had out of over 3,000 people registered, just under uh, 1,500 people take hold of a bike. At the end of that, that initial free period, we said, well, okay, um, some people want to keep hold of the bikes, but that's not really fair to people who haven't had one yet. So what we do is we say, if you pay kind of the maintenance fee for that bike for um, up to 90 days, you can hold on to it for another 90 days. And that, that was about 15 pounds a month, so 50p a day. So that was the cost of keeping the bikes on the road. What shocked us was how many people said, actually, yes, I'll keep hold of the bike for another 90 days. So this kind of made us think, well, what's actually going on here? Because we, we thought people were using the bike because they're free. Uh, but we weren't expecting this many people to say, yes, I'll keep hold of it and pay for it. So we thought, well, maybe we've kind of stumbled upon something that's generating mobile shift. So what we then did is said, right, we worked specifically with St. Bart's, our initial partner, and said, let's go to the staff and say to them at the end of the 90 days, right, let's transition you onto something permanent. So whether that was um, uh, putting them in touch with their cycle to work scheme so they could take advantage of the the discount you get through cycle to work and indeed being able to spread the payments every year whether it's putting them in touch with the local cycling charity i was fascinated to hear someone else who thought of the same idea um so they could pick up um, a refurbished bike for something between 20 and 50 pounds or whether it was kind of putting them onto either our hire scheme or the santander cycles london scheme this was in london 20 percent of the people who started with the free trial or 21 percent actually went on to a regular mode of job. So that's one in five. And it was just staggering. We've, we've been working 
for 10 years um, attempting to move um, people into cycling. That's the purpose of Brompton Bike Car is to be a, a kind of driver for modal shift. And we've never seen numbers for this. So, I mean, we kind of thought, who knew the tree was the answer? Well, probably a lot of people. So we're not stopping there. And we're actually moving on to do more things with this. And uh, we're looking to kind of replicate this at several different levels. So um, on one level, we're working um, with local authorities to kind of look at uh, targeting specific groups who have a low propensity cycle and kind of replicate this funnel. Uh, another one that we're working with is um, major um, office developments um, to, to kind of replicate the same thing. And we're talking to people like Sony, uh, Lloyd's, um, actually off the back of a call today, a, a group of shared office spaces called Fora. And we're going to just trial whether we can replicate this to kind of get people to shift uh, permanently to cycling. But also, and this is one that's really kind of dear to my heart, is um, housing developments and specifically social housing developments. And the reason why that's so interesting is the lowest propensity to cycle is actually people in low income uh, households. And the, the big irony is actually um, in terms of um, financial viability, often cycling is, is the most um, affordable people, way for people to transfer around so you know we really want to make this um even bigger and better and um we we sincerely believe that it's actually these these soft initiatives that kind of fold around some of these um uh, infrastructure um initiatives that we've seen at uh at manchester uh at media city and uh, laura and lee's fantastic stuff that they're doing if you you kind of fold these soft um initiatives around them and give people an opportunity to to learn what it's like to live with a bike because i think it's one thing to say to someone have a bike for a day but that doesn't really inform their their decisions if you give someone a bike for a month they can really go away and understand whether that's a shift in travel that they can do and i don't really propose to say much beyond that other than to say thank you and um hopefully some of the stuff that the other speakers are talking about spoken about has inspired you to um, look at doing something different yourself. Yeah, thank you, Julian. Um, and I think that sort of, in a sense, is, is brilliant to sort of finish it because um, BCO, who've been um, supporting this uh, set of webinars, also have a link to the NHS as well. I mean, many have, obviously, um, but that's a, it's a great link. Um, I've got a load of questions, but um, I think um, Melissa can um, pick up on um, those that are coming out of the chat and any there, and um, I'll... Um, I'll come in at the end. So over to Melissa. Thanks, everyone. That was so um, interesting. It's so interesting to hear what you're doing kind of all over the country and, and the different kind of initiatives. And we have had a few questions. And um, there's one that I think is uh, not specific, but hopefully you will all have views on. Um, and that is um, post-pandemic. Do we think that the do you feel kind of at your sites or you know with the BCO or with Brompton that the there will be an increased sort of fight between and conflict between car users and cyclists as the number of cyclists increases increases um, and what do you think should be the kind of network improvements to manage the conflict between the different types of road users? Um, I'm a half full kind of guy. Um, <laughs> Oh, you, you, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be in, in micro mobility if you weren't a half full kind of guy. But actually, I think a lot of people who had never cycled before or not regularly before um, took the opportunity during lockdown to, to cycle as a, as a kind of a, a means of release, a means of exercise. And, you know, perhaps I, I would argue that some people have, have cycled a mile on another man's toe clips. Um, and I've kind of got a sense of what it's like to be on a bike. There's a lovely experiment they did in Malaysia a few years ago where they put a load of bus drivers onto some bikes that were fixed to the road and then got buses to go past them at 60 miles an hour to show them what a close pass felt like. And maybe there's been a one or two few people on, 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 on sunny Surrey lanes who have suddenly discovered what it's like when a car gives you a close pass. So, no, I mean, I'm a great believer in, in actually that there are, there's no such thing as as cyclists being idiots or drivers being idiots there's bad there's bad people who ride and there's bad people who drive and i'm hoping perhaps this little bit of mixing has broken down a bit of that tribalism so i'm an optimist i believe that this is actually going to perhaps improve the way people share the road 
can Scott, I can see sorry, Neil, I've just taken your Robert. I could just see Scott's little hands gone up. Uh, yeah, just, on, Melissa. Just uh, I am I'm, I'm like Julian very much a glass half full, full person as well. And I, I just um you know that nine out of ten British cycling members also drive a car. So the idea that we are delineated by our mode of transport is wrong. But I think you know to, to the to the questioner's point, you know, we 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 all have a shared interest in more people cycling, whether we choose to cycle ourselves or not. If we, if we, if we, have a, if we drive a car, the more people cycling means our streets are less congested, so it is actually easier to get around. And I would rather drive around Copenhagen than Manchester, much as I love the city that we, that we work in uh, any day. Um, you know, if we have to use public transport, more people cycling means more, spa more space on public transport. And the more people cycling, the more cleaner, greener uh, our, our towns and cities are. We, you know, it, it is absolutely something which we, um, which we, whether we choose to cycle ourselves or not, we, we have a shared interest in making it possible for more people to do it. Thank you. I didn't know cyclists were so half full kind of people. Nice. <laughs> absolutely. Maybe it's just Julian and I, I don't know. Yeah. Still, still. I consider it a mode of transport rather than a lifestyle choice, which is probably <laughs> why my attitude is a bit more laissez-faire. Right, okay. Um, so I'm just going to bring us to the next question because we've got a few and I know we don't have a lot of time. But um, one of the questions that's come up a couple of times is um, about VOI e-scooters. And I think, uh, Lydia, you mentioned them at the beginning. But is there a general thought? I mean, Lydia, if you'd like to, to start, if you do have an opinion, but do we think they'll become more popular post-pandemic? And then how will, do you think you'll have to change any of your facilities to accommodate them? Or is it the same if it's an e-scooter or a bike? I think they will become more popular. We um, Another location we worked with uh, in the summer was Northampton, also had um, a trial and they were really popular there. I think it, it's it's been different in Birmingham because Birmingham's been so quiet at the moment. Uh, yet yeah, I'm surprised the figures are so high in that short time, but I'm sure it will increase. I think, um, you know, it will probably lead to a few issues perhaps of, for example, in public realm, Will they be allowed if it gets too popular? But um, yeah, in answer to the question, yeah, I'm sure it would increase based on what we've seen so far. Rachel, are you are you in, are you thinking about them in terms of the future hubs, for example? Uh, well, Lee's probably a better person to talk about e-scooters than I am, actually, because we, we are involved in some trials at the moment, but one of them is in Salford. So uh, yeah. and I know that Lee's had some involvement with that one. So. It's timely, really. This week, we've just launched um, a scheme with Lime e-scooters. So we're joining up with Lime, um, collaborating with Salford City Council, TFGM, and the University of Salford. Um, they're, they're sort of located at destinations around student campuses and the, the various student um, buildings. Media City is a home to the University of Salford for its digital campus. So we've um, joined up with that. So yeah, the, the, it literally launched this week. So see how that goes. Great, thank you. Um, it's really interesting. Some of the other um, questions that I've got, another one that's come up that's actually very interesting is um, about integrated transport systems. Quite a few of you have talked about how good your kind of public transport is to get to sites. Um, but maybe that last bit, uh, you know, is less difficult. That's what I've found from kind of previous clients and, and things is that, you know, the, it's great if you live really close by. But what what are your thoughts on kind of integrated transport systems and how can it be made easier to sort of do that last uh, last mile biking? I know that Brompton has a solution with its lockers, but so <laughs> is that what your hand is up, Julian? No, not exactly. I mean... I think the area that's really interested is actually starting from a point of integrated transport. So there's been a lot of work over the last two or three years, first of all, with something called MAPS, which is Mobility as a Service, which is a software solution. Uh, but then there was the realization that a bit like strawberries and cream, you can't really enjoy one without the other and you needed the hard infrastructure to go behind it. So now there's a growth of things called uh, mobility hubs, macro and micro mobility hubs, which gives you the infrastructure to support something that then kind of plans routes and I think it is it is very important to think about transport as a joined up solution and not micro mobility and buses and trains because that's not how the world works 
and actually when it comes to journey planning stuff like and yes i know we have a, a massively unfair advantage that our bikes fold up and fit on everything else but i know yabu sucks that's life um but you know we do see that by working collaboratively on these things you get much more power you know ultimately like you said for a lot of people the office and home it's not a cycling distance however cycling to the train station taking the train into the center and then cycling to the office that's very possible so i think um you know more kind of joined up thinking that more spaces for bikes that don't fold up on trains would be a really good initiative as well much much, much as it pains me to say it there are other bikes on the market and they should have their place on public transport as well i mean in in some countries they even have um bike racks on buses you know why why is that such a hard initiative for us to follow on it's not like it's taking up space from the passengers anyway that's my view thank you okay um i'm aware of conscious of time so um... so, so i'll do it with a, a wrap-up question so it's a quick fire one to um everybody um i'd like a, a quick come in relation to sort of things that you're doing um in relation to accessible uh cycling um i think you'll all be aware of you know different forms of transport getting in so um um just quickly around um what's happening in that uh, sphere wherever you are Anybody want to jump in on that one? I was gonna say, it's kind of putting us on the spot a little bit, isn't it there, really? Uh, well, I mean, obviously from our point of view, we sort of liaising with, uh, you know, with the highway authorities in terms of building infrastructure. So that obviously needing to make sure that uh, anything that's built uh, meets, uh, you know, the requirement standard. So that's one of the things. Um, we're still needing to work to explore further really we, we have uh, actually the first of our sort of gm-wide stakeholder meetings uh in a couple of weeks time around exploring barriers to cycling from different groups one of those being uh people with disabilities and and impairments as well as well as sort of uh other demographic groups so at, at the moment there, there are lots of pockets of interesting work going on in GM as I'm sure there are in in uh, lots of other places in terms of you know removing barriers to infrastructure but also looking at accessible cycles e-bikes I think is an interesting thing that's obviously taken off and does allow for a lot more people to cycle than had previously thought uh, so but I, I would say it's very much still an area that sort of uh, in development for for Manchester, Greater Manchester. Thanks, Rachel. Um, I think I'm going to take that as a sort of um, you know, description of probably what most people are doing, and that's you know, taking it on board and, and, and dealing with it. Um, so conscious of time, I am going to wrap it up there. Um, so a huge thank you to Scott, Lydia, George, Rachel, Lee, Laura, and Julian. Um, but also uh, thanks to everybody out there for uh, joining us today. So I've got running over slightly, but I hope you found that um, good. Uh, please do tell your friends um, and on social media as well. Um, they're your friends as well, of course. Um, next time we're out on the 31st of March, uh, same time. And we're, do we're covering other parts of the UK, hopefully Bristol, Brighton, uh, where in Hertfordshire plus uh, Glasgow as well. If you've got any projects that um, you think could be covered in that, do let us know. Um, details will be uh, following. Um, and um, there is link, um, obviously, will appear at closed down, as I've said. Uh, slides will be available and we're going to be doing a write-up on the website. So I'll say thank you to everybody, chapeau. And if anybody is um, uh, joining uh, Dame Sarah at half past six, enjoy that session as well. So thank you everybody and cheerio. Mm -hmm.